call me Dr. Jones, known as the Night Tripper. Got my satchel of gree grease in my hand. Dig me tripping up and back down the bayou. I'm the last of the best, they call me the Greedy Man. What's up, everybody? Got many clients. How you doing? How you doing, motherfucker? Hello, hello, hello. Everybody sit down and shut down the fuck up. <laughs> hello and welcome to the Po' Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Jody B. And I got a new episode for you this week. Um, very interesting. This this whole podcast journey has led me to uh, a bunch of different people, a def- bunch of different backgrounds. Just it's been really neat the the web of folks that I've been introduced to. Uh, guest of the show around this time last year, I think, maybe I'm off. Uh, was Sean Hennessy? He's a dude that is a stand-up comic from up around the Connecticut area and uh, yeah they have a show called Bullpen Therapy that I, I listen to they finally got the wheels on over there and it took a I don't know two fucking months off <laughs> but they're getting it together and uh, recently they had this guy on named uh, Rob Santos and he was very uh, insightful It was it's weird because uh, Rob seems like um, a person who's very involved with comedy, uh, enjoys it, and also has been doing it for a while. Uh, Rob also suffers from a few different mental illnesses. So I find his perspective kind of very interesting. You know, he's a person who, you know, has, has admitted and been told that he has certain things in his life that now he has to deal with through his thought process. And uh, I find the way that he thinks very interesting because he is uh, he's trying to to mentor and help direct uh, younger comics. Uh, a lot of these millennial kids, they're not really versed at, at speaking to people. They're not great at it. And I'm a millennial. You know, I've just had a lot more exercise doing it. Uh, it's not something that's easy if you never talk to people and learn how to, to interface it's it's very difficult to just pick up those skills so you know he he really spends time trying to educate and also you know preaches mental health you know if you are feeling like you're you're having issues go get you some help man go see a counselor go to fucking somebody come talk to me shit we'll we'll work it out (laughs) but anyway you guys enjoy the episode i think uh you're really gonna dig it so, I'll catch you afterwards, motherfucker. In your breakfast, try a little bit of Hey now. Call me Dr. John, known as a night trip. 
fish coming in last. Bring it up the bass. No one owes you anything, I think. You need a shotgun blast, a kick in the ass. So paranoid. Watch your back! Kickstarting the motherfucking Sunday morning. How about that? How about that? <laughs> Dude, that's a dope ass song. Oh man, I, you know it, it's Shine Down. Shine Down gets a lot of shit because in the last few years they have gotten quite popular. But I don't give a flying fuck what anybody says. It's really good Why, ass they, Are they selling out? They think or something? I, you know, what is selling out exactly in this day and age, yeah. man? Is it selling out? Is it buying in? Are you paying your fucking bills? Then who the fuck matters? That's right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Pay me for my songs. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. I, that whole situation. People don't understand how fucking tough it is to get to that next level, man. It's just weird. It's just it's it's so crazy. Though. It's so crazy. I could only imagine what it would be like to be to their level because you know they're fucking famous now. So now they have to watch and make sure that people aren't stealing their shit legit. <laughs> yeah, guess. man. It's like constantly. It's almost like if you think of it, like legit. It's like constantly making sure nobody comes into on your lawn, right? And tries to break into your house, and you're constantly with a shotgun. And that's what it feels like to to sort of be that way, like to be at that point that they're at well you also got to make sure the fucking grass is still growing too yeah (laughs) exactly not only are you concentrated on keeping your grass pretty but you also got to keep an eye on it and keep motherfuckers (laughs) off of it (laughs) yeah it's it's a very dude it's a very odd construct i've 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 known a very small portion of what they might be dealing with and that's because i'm on the come up versus them actually being established you know it's a very difficult process right totally difficult everybody's trying to fuck you exactly exactly but but thanks for having me though i really appreciate being on with you yeah no problem ladies and gentlemen uh welcome to the po boys podcast uh our guest today is uh east coast comic uh, up around the, the Connecticut area, uh, and a friend of former guest of the show, Mr. Sean Hennessy, Rob Santos. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you, thank you. I heard, sure, I appreciate it. I heard Rob on uh, Sean's show with uh, his partner, Brian, the bullpen therapy. And, uh, you know, you really struck me as, as an interesting person, Rob, because you, you seem very genuine in the fact that you're willing to talk about your life and some of your your shortcomings but also how people try to fuck you over and all that good shit 
Yeah. But at the same time, you also seem like a person who really enjoys stand-up comedy and who also has no problem being a little bit of a kick in the ass for people who uh, need, need the help, who need the the motivation. And uh, that's something that I, I think is, is more valuable than gold, man. You're like, uh, you. you're like a coach. Make these motherfuckers <laughs> get out there and do that work. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's what it's all about, dude. I appreciate that. But I'm glad that you listened to Sean and Brian's um, podcast. I had, a, I had a hell of a time doing it, man. Brian and I were like really we're like old friends. We've been doing this for a while out here. And it was just great to be able to do something with him. And, and Sean, I really like him because I think Sean is he's, he's really trying to figure himself out with it, like the short time he's already been doing it. And, you know, he has such interesting stories and an interesting persona. He's just he's trying to figure it out, you know, and I, I like it's like watching a wrestler become get their gimmick. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like like when Stone Cold became Stone Cold and you kind of like watched his transition from WCW to ECW. And then once he got to WWF, he was just going through that transition of trying to figure himself out with Ted DiBiase. And then before you know it, he just like he just started figuring out as he went along and King of the Ring '96, everything changed. And right. like it, it's interesting to see that transition. And I'm waiting for Sean to have his moment. It's you like, know where he's you know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's 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 very. I get the reference. It's one day you're looking at a at a a, a boy greener than grass with his long blonde hair walking around the ring, and the next thing you know, the glass breaks, and it's Austin 316 since I just whipped your ass. Hell yeah, hell yeah! And that moment was just so pivotal in his career and for the WWF at the time. I still call him WWF. I don't yeah, give me a too. fuck. No, man, that's uh, that's really interesting. I mean, with wrestling, it's one of those things. There's only a few people that I got to watch do that progression. Uh, but but I totally get the analogy, and that's really cool. Like to see somebody develop literally from from nothing to setting the world on fire if you give them the fucking chance. So right, I mean, John Cena was the prototype, and then look what he became. You know, and I, I I've always admired wrestlers, and I've always sort of fashioned my comedy after being a wrestler. It's it's more than just getting up there and telling jokes. It's like you're an entertainer. Right. You're moving around. You're showing your face. I was actually I was watching Richard Pryor last night after I listened to my set, and I just took some notes. And I've been watching the same comedy special for over twenty years, and I'm still learning from it. Which it's, one? It's, uh, Richard Pryor live in concert. I've seen uh, live on the Sunset Strip probably. That one's 100, amazing. A hundred times maybe. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's so dope, man. That's that's such a great special too, man. It's just the vulnerability that he has, and and that's what he's taught me. I mean, he's taught me to be that guy, and I just adore him for it. And because of that, I think that's one of the issues I kind of have with stand-up comedy right now. It's like a lot of comedians are just they're smart, they're funny, you know. They they're commenting on life around them, but they always come off as if they're on top, right? And and that they're smarter than the next person. And it's always kind of bugged me. I, I, I didn't like, I don't, I kind of don't like that. Well, there's a comedy style that, that has that kind of as the, the driving force, like your, your Jessel Nick or, you know, people mm-hmm. that they're kind of smug, you know, but yeah. if it's like an over, an underwhelming 
thing mm-hmm. where it's just like they're coming off as as kind of a dick. I don't know. I guess it makes it a little harder. You be humble, man. <laughs> be humble. Be happy. yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely, and give me some time. I'm gonna wake up, right? Because I'm looking at I look at a lot of these comics nowadays, and I really, I, I like especially the ones that are put on now, like Michelle Wolf. Like she's great, but you know sometimes listening to her voice can like get tiresome. But um, she's she's really good. Um, but there's a lot of it, just so much political satire yeah. right now. So much satire in general, you know. And we're so overrun on Netflix with comedy specials, but you don't know who any of these guys are. You know, like there's at least 40 to 50 comedy specials out there, it seems like. And I guarantee, and to me, like half of them, I feel like I don't know who they are. And it's weird, right? I don't know if you have that same issue, too. No, it it is kind of that. Um, Fortunately, I I try to branch out with my comedy listenings. And so. Like with when they put out those multi specials where it's like, you know, six, eight different people in one. I usually know at least two or three of those people and I'll go in and watch their shit first and then I might watch somebody else's shit that comes on out. You know what I mean? Like it's Yeah. So it works out, but there are a bunch. And Netflix has pulled in a bunch of uh like British comic stuff too now. And so yeah. you have to like look at it and try to figure out like, who the fuck is this guy? And then you look and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. That's not what I'm looking for. Next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and it goes back to the, the wrestling analogy. When you would watch some of these people come up, you know, like back in you know, back in the day, in the 90s, you had Comedy Central that was really, because at the time, you know, you didn't have a Netflix platform. No, that was it. So you, yeah, so you were able to watch Comedy Central or NBC Late Night. That was the only time you were able to watch comedians uh, on television. But at the same time, you'd get to know them and they'd be nurtured and they'd grow. And then once you got to know them and their hour special or their half hour special on HBO or whatever it was came out, you were already nestled into what their comedic voice was. And because of that, it just allowed you to support them more than ever. But now it's like you spring some people on us. It's just like, wait a minute, who is this person? You know, how can they package it so that, you know, I want to watch this being a fan of comedy. But then not being able to, but just being able to, you know, get to know them. And then when that special does come out, then boom, I'm ready. You know, I'm I'm already invested. So that to me has changed over time. And plus being in the business for as long as I've been trying to get into it, you know, I, I, you get focused on your own crap after a while. You know, you kind of get tunnel vision. Right. A little bit. I think that's a, a common thing that I hear with common. I've, I've spoken to a handful of comedians ranging anywhere from two years to 40. You know what I'm saying? Like I've talked to a few different comics and that does seem to be a a thing. Like once you get into it, into it, you kind of don't pay attention to anybody else's shit anymore, but it's, it's part of the deal. Like you might watch the big ones, your, your, your favorites, but you're not out actively, you know, um, testing the water all the time because i mean why would you worry about what somebody else is doing unless you know you're doing the same shit then that is something you got to worry about but you know don't worry about what he's doing do you stay in your yeah. lane worry about yourself yeah but and that's the funny thing that's where i have a that's where i have a disagreement that's where my that's where my um a lot of my the difference between my business side or just like you know me trying to sort of cultivate myself but then I also have these mixed feelings about that because I felt back in the day, man, like the, especially the, the performers of the 90s, 
you know, in the 80s some, somewhat, they were all coming up together and they all believed in each other so much that they were all invested in each other. So when I developed my workshop, my workshop was to do just that, was just to invest myself into other people's work, but then also in turn get opportunities and, and motivation and ideas because I'm just the type of guy, I just want to share ideas. You know, I just want to talk about it for hours with people. I just want to understand their process, you know, get an idea of what, how they develop jokes so they can get an idea how I develop mine. So that investment that's there and they see me at a show, I was like, oh, Rob, he's performing here tonight? Oh, let me go check him out. And then that's how we build and cultivate a culture. You know, nowadays it seems like this whole me, 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 selfish thing is starting to take place. Like, yeah, you can stay in your lane and do you, but you can still branch out and just see what the other person is doing just to appreciate someone else's process and come up and um, show them love. Absolutely. And that's that wasn't what I meant. What I was saying was once you get deep enough into it, you shouldn't worry about what other people are doing. You can watch it and appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? But some people totally. get, get weird about it and they're like, oh, this motherfucker's doing jokes about hamburgers. God damn it, dude. What the fuck is hamburger jokes about? You know, and it's, man, worry, don't worry about him. Fucking do your shit. Exactly. And, day, and, and that's what's going to get you paid. <laughs> you know, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with, he's not going to get you fucking paid. So right. don't worry about him or her. Exactly. See, I totally agree with that. Where it gets murky for me is it's when, like, you know, I have friends of mine that I try to talk to about saying, hey, did you see this other person's thing? And they're like, nah, man, I don't watch other people's shit because, you know, I'm doing me. I'm like, well, damn. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it. Right, right. You don't <laughs> you know? have to be a dick about it, man. Shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I'm too far. I got to do me, man. If I focus on other people's shit, then I won't be able to do me. It's like, there's enough hours in the day for you. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just like indulge me just for a little bit, <laughs> you know, and it just it puts me in such a like tight spot where it's like, fuck, man. Well, who do I talk to about this? Where do I go to feel like I can open up to somebody or just about a comedy special or a joke someone did or just something weird that I saw about a comic? You know, that, that's all I want. You know, I just want that connectivity. And there's some people that are just so focused on themselves that they don't see that and for me it just puts me down like i get legitimately sad over that because i'm like damn man well what am i supposed to do now you know and it's kind of it's kind of painful that it's become this it wasn't like that before it wasn't especially when i was when i was coming up about 10 years ago it wasn't like that it really really wasn't so a lot more camaraderie uh, yes. Trying to help. See, and that was you mentioned it just a second there. You do a comedy workshop, correct? There where you're at. Yes. That's, yes. That's it's really, cool. it's really a, a good thing for people like here in Little Rock. The, the scene, there is definitely mm-hmm. a comedy scene, but real, recognized, real. There's one fucking comedy club. That's it. There's wow. A, the Looney oh. Bin. That's that's the only one that is officially a fucking comedy club. The rest of them are open mics. You know. Right, but through you know five nights a week of open mics and then that comedy club, they're actually nurturing and harvesting uh, a group of comedians now, and they seem to be very supportive. But you have to get in there, <laughs> and that was I've, yeah. I've done a few open mics and I haven't really pursued it much lately. But just right. those few that I did, I met quite a few really nice people who were like, hey, how's it going? When you coming back? You know, hey, I remember you from last time. Good job. Good luck. You know, and it's you need that, dude. You, you really do. 
Oh yeah. See, that's so fucking awesome. I'm so happy you experienced that. That's that's the beauty of this. You know, it's I like I look at so with my workshop, I realize that we are a nation of triggers. Oh yeah. <laughs> so exactly. So triggers and trauma, you know, um I'm working on a bit about trauma and how trauma is just, it's so apparent in my life that I, I've given it a name type of shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, because once you name something, it becomes real, it becomes tangible, you know what I'm saying? So, with my workshop, I'm using mindfulness as a way to help my students and the performers, rather, understand who they are upstairs in their minds and in their hearts. It's not about the jokes. The first two weeks of my about first two weeks of my um workshops they'll give me six weeks. The first two weeks, no one does jokes. No no joke writing at all. It's all exercises that I've developed or that I've been able to use from others. So I've taken other workshops and plus I've been in group therapies because of, you know, what I live with upstairs in my mind. And I'm I took all that and I've put it all together and it helps the performer loosen up. So by week three, they're comfortable with their peers, they're comfortable with me, and they're comfortable with themselves. So I take that fear, I take that anxiety out, so then now they feel like they can do this, and they're like, and then they look at their work in a way they never saw it before. So I'm taking those triggers and those traumas, and I'm having them confront them straight up. It's... It sounds like a really good plan because if anything that I've noticed is people are losing the ability to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do mm -hmm. a medium like stand-up comedy, you have to be comfortable talking. You have to be. Like, if you can't speak, then how the fuck are you going to stand on stage and talk? Like, that doesn't make sense. Totally. See, you're see, I'm getting all amped up because, like, I just I believe in the process of what, like, you know, Joe Joel Embiid. You got to trust the process, man. It's like we we just we're so consumed with exhibitionism, yeah. you know, where look it's like, me, look, look at me, me on Facebook me. and yeah. Twitter. <laughs> what was that? I said, it's look at me, look at me, look at me. That's, that's exactly. The and and you're 100 percent fucking right. And it's because of that shit where. We can, we can, you know, the funny thing is, have you noticed, like, people will open up and say some real shit or some crazy stuff on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, but when you try to talk to them about it in person, they'd be like, nah, nah, I can't, I don't want to get into it. It's like, you just had a whole thing on social media, but you don't want to tell me in person. Like, that to me baffles me, you know, and I'm trying to be able to take that out of my students, that exhibitionist shit and have them just be honest with themselves i think it's the best place to start so bravo to you i mean you know, I, I love stand-up comedy rob and i always yeah. thought that that i could try it more um mm -hmm. because with you know i have the same i have the same disease as most stand-up comics i went through a lot of shit as a kid i was hit a lot and i didn't get a lot of attention that, that i needed and so yeah. I, I have that that want for attention to make people laugh i have that right i have the ability to communicate with people because i've had jobs over the last 10 years that have afforded me hours of social interaction with people right. 
right. saying? I was a, a bug guy for like five years. That's that is face to face interaction. You better have something to say. You better have an answer for every question, and you better be nice because if these people don't like you, they're not going to keep paying you to come back every couple months. Right. So that dude, that was a crazy one. I mean, I can talk to anybody. Put me in a room. I fucking yeah. dare you, and 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 let me not speak to somebody within five minutes. It doesn't right. Happen. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of it. You have to be willing to fucking communicate with people. And so that's really good that, that you're knocking that wall out first. Don't make it just about getting on stage and doing a trick. Have a conversation with a motherfucker and you'll be comfortable, smooth. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Like, I, I love that. Like, like I, I've learned... I've learned some stuff. Like, my, my, my dad wasn't around much of my life. He was, like, in and out. But the times that I have seen him or been around him, the one thing I've always noticed about him, like, my dad, like, I think he dropped out of school in the eighth grade. But the thing about my father is is that this man knew how to talk to anyone and anything, and it seemed like at any time. It's just he found a way to break the ice mm-hmm. and make himself just be comfortable and make other people feel so comfortable with him. And it totally, it always caught me off guard because, like, you know, you know, the man, like, like I said, eighth grade, and just, I think, you know, dropped out and like, shit, you know, And but he just has this level of social awareness that you don't, that it's like, you, I don't know, it's like you don't, I don't, you don't see, you know, you don't teach that. It's natural, you know? Yeah. It doesn't matter what level of intelligence you have. You just have the ability to be able to connect like you do. And like I feel like I do as well, it just it changes the entire landscape of who you are. And I've always admired that about him and it taught me how to do it. And like my girlfriend, she gets mad at me. Some even my my sisters, like family, they always say every time we go someplace, you always sitting there talking to somebody. You always yeah. find a way to talk to somebody. You be the way with them for like fifteen minutes or whatever. Cause we trying to leave. It's like, yeah, but you don't want to get to know the people that you live around. <laughs> you know my, number one, it's my fucking job. <laughs> let's call yeah. it call it what it is like this is my job to talk and two yeah that's how do i how do i observe life without dipping my fucking toes in the water i gotta talk to this motherfucker that's sitting on the bench with one leg you know what i'm saying in, totally. in, in the, the costume and you go hey buddy how was your fucking weekend what are you doing <laughs> yeah man it's just like the, it just i mean there's so many different things that i see Nowadays, like I'm not sure how, how how old are you? I'm 31. Oh, see, I'm see, we're around the same age. I'm 35. I was doing this show last night. Case in point, I was doing this show last night, and the one thing is, if especially if you hear, it's like people don't like to talk to the college crowd or yeah. don't like to go to like because you know the millennials and all this other shit. And the thing is, it's like yo, these people are my demographic. I don't give a fuck how. If they're white, if they're black, whatever it is, but that that nineteen twenty to like twenty eight range, maybe like those are the people I really want to talk to the most. Like I want to be able to connect with them in ways that thirty somethings will already get. Yeah, you know, if they're like twenty nine and they're like thirty five my age, then they they already understand what's going on because at that age, you already understand yourself. So. The beauty of what I'm trying to do is, is I'm still trying to figure myself out, even in my mid thirties. But the thing is, I can talk to them about depression. Yeah. I can talk to them about these darker issues now. But when you talk, when you see these comedians of 
who've been doing it for over 20, 30 years, and they say they don't want to go to those crowds anymore or those schools because they can't connect. They're so established with who they are and what they've done for so long that they can't go back that far anymore, you know? Maybe with a handful, but it just, it's just they just don't know how to. They don't know how to connect there. So me being in the situation I'm in, like when I first went on stage last night, um, you know, I just I confronted the issue. It's like, hey, there's so many eclectic white people in here. And then they laughed. And then I was like, and then I did a couple other jokes, but then I started talking about traumas. I confronted it head on, but I confronted it in a way where I was vulnerable. And I was the one who was also a victim. And I was along the ride with them. I told them, look, I'm an older millennial. You know, the only difference between me and you is I know what a rotary phone looks like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, but it's a very small joke that they laughed. And then we were talking about it as I was up. It's like, hey, I seen one. I seen one, too. I was like, where? And then we connected. You see what I'm saying? It's like it was a very small. It was a small crowd. Um, it was probably like 20 people there, maybe 20, 25 people there. And I was able to connect with them in a way that some other people might not. And because I'm so quick to be vulnerable and address the elephant in the room, that I was dropping words and lines on them that other comedians wouldn't dare try to do, or at least not be able to get away with it, especially out here in Connecticut, because it can be a very, very uh, mishmash of conservatives and just, you know, trigger-filled people, right. you know? You don't know your audience. <laughs> so you no, nah, you don't, you don't. But I was able to connect with them in a way that was very interesting, and I was very proud of what I did last night. I think, like, one of the biggest problems is, like you said, most of these older established comedians, they they're, they're, they know their shit. They're on their voice. Mm -hmm. And they're not really willing to adjust for the millennial mm -hmm. crowd because it would be kind of a pain in the ass. And I'm not, I'm not mad at them, you know? Mm -hmm. just, okay, maybe that's not your audience. I get it. If you're on the come up, you should probably be working on that. Because right. why not put a challenge in front of yourself? Try to figure out how to connect with these people out the gate. And it's going to be kind of difficult because these motherfuckers, uh, you know, technically I'm a millennial, but I don't have mm -hmm. that particular thing because with with the cell phones and the internet and instant messenger and yahoo and skype and instagram and twitter and fucking facebook and these people don't really know how to interact face to face anymore it's really fascinating to sit and try to talk to a young person yes because you have to literally keep their attention you can't it's all all fucking filler or all killer no filler you can't come at them with bullshit because they'll tune you out so goddamn fast Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Brooklyn, put that in the garbage. You know where that goes. Get it. <laughs> I heard that bell. No, you put it down. Put it in the garbage. <laughs> Seriously, put it in the garbage. Stop being a silly person. Go ahead. You, you, know, see, one, you was the one opening it. No, but you were the one that ate it, so you throw it away. I'm so oh, glad. Sorry. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I mean. See, like, so my kid is very much like me. And the thing is, girl, if you don't go put this in the garbage, I swear to God, it's going to be me and you in the parking lot. Go. This whole room up with uppercuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, see, I grew up in that same environment, man. When I was, you know, if I didn't do something right, I got hit too. But like yeah. with my daughter, man, she's such a spitting image of myself. Like we was at the, so like with her, it's like I teach her. She can be very, very shy and very, and, and very like, you know, like laid back and very docile. But at the same time, she just has this, this thing in her where she knows how to perform. She knows how to speak. She knows when to speak. Her, she has this natural timing. 
we were at this um, this little graduation thing, not like this like end of the year performance for her kindergarten class. Yeah. Uh, so it was just her class, her teachers, and um, my uh, myself and other parents. So she's like twirling around, she's bored. I can I like I'm, I'm looking at her, I was like, oh my fucking god, like this kid's bored. Uh, I was like, just stay in the moment, you know what I mean? I'm just telling her to calm down and relax. So there's this portion of the of the show that comes up and. They're like uh, they ask. Uh, they asked one of the kids. So uh, you know, what did you learn in uh, kindergarten this year? And one of them said, "I learned to share." And it's like, "Well, what did you learn?" I learned sight words. And then they asked my daughter. It's like, "Well, Brooklyn, you know, what did you learn?" And she she looked at everybody, waited just enough time to get them to just to wait to see what she was going to say, and then she said, "I learned to flush the toilet." <laughs> and then everybody started laughing Slam and then I dunk. yeah exactly and I had my phone and I put it down and you probably hear me in this video and I was like son of a bitch <laughs> and I said that not because of the fact that you know she said that and I was upset I said that because like public school may not be enough for her you know I'm, I'm like she's going to want to communicate in a way that the classes might not allow her to and how do I help cultivate that feeling and that desire of wanting to communicate to, at a higher level than the other kids differently? You know, I told her teachers, like, my daughter marches to the beat of her own drum, but she plays that drum with a flute. And it's interesting to see them laugh at it. And it's like, yeah, that's true. That's how she is. And because of that, I'm like, I have a different person in my hands that I have to nurture and that's why I started Each One Teach One. And that's why I always show love. Like, I'm so happy to hear that you got that love when you went out. You got that validation. That's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for validation in some way. That's why we have all these social media outlets. Tell me about Each One Teach One. I've heard that a few times. And I, I really, um, it sounds, it's catchy. Like, the first time I heard it, I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? And then again, and again, and I go, okay. <laughs> This must be something that I don't know if it's a philosophy. I, I'm sure I've heard like reach one, teach one. I've heard different variants of it. So tell me a little more about because I've heard you say it a few times. What's, what's that about? So um, I learned each one, teach one back when I was in I was about 14, 15 years old. You ever remember, you remember the rap group Dead Prez? Ooh shit! Uh, give me give me a song. All right, so um the that song that's on Dave Chappelle's um. Comedy Central show, the Chappelle show, uh-huh. the song that they play in the beginning, that like that, yeah, that it just that's um, hip hop is bigger than hip hop. That's them. Okay. And uh, I learned each one, teach one through them. Learned about I Ching through them, which is some other, uh, which I Ching is some uh, some Eastern philosophy, um, things like that. Um, people notice like whenever I take pictures, uh, I normally give the finger, but I don't give. It's not necessarily the middle finger. If you look at the way my finger's positioned, it's not necessarily me giving them the middle finger. It's called, I mean, they call it like your basta, which is um, like something along the lines, like stop the oppression, stop, like something like that. I can't remember 100%, but that's how I give the fingers, like stop, you know, stop that, stop the oppression. You know, that's what I do. It's not like the middle finger. People think it is, but it isn't. And so I learned a lot through them at 14 years old. And they had this phrase that they would say a lot, which was each one teach one. And when I read about it, um, I read that it's a, it comes from an old African proverb where uh, if a slave uh, during slavery didn't know how to read, it was incumbent upon another slave who did know how to read to teach them. And that's how they cultivated their culture. That's how they were able to bring themselves up. 
And that's how they were able to, once, you know, slavery was abolished, were able to, you know, try to be functioning adults. And then not too long ago, I also heard about, like, my great-grandfather five times over was sold, was sold from a plantation in Louisiana to a plantation, I think, in North, North Carolina. And that's where he made my great-grandmother five times over. And from what I've heard was, from my mother told me uh, that my great-grandfather ended up buying the land that he worked on from his owner. And that really spoke to me as well. And each one, teach one came about because of that. So when I was in school back when I was 14, and then I heard about, learned about my, my heritage about like about a year and a half ago, it just opened my eyes up. And I've always had this each one, teach one mentality since I was 14 which is always just understanding that everyone can be your peer, that you can learn just as much as from someone else as they can from you, and that because of each one teach one, it just allows me to be able to see the other side and understand people and want bring together a different level of community and a level of togetherness that may not exist. And because of that, it's kept me humble, it's kept me sound, and it's allowed me to open up the workshop. So now with the workshop, I went through a lot of group therapy, regular therapy, um, things I've learned from my day job, things I've learned from so many other people. And I've taken all of that and I put it into my workshop. And so what I do is, like I said, I use mindfulness, group settings to be able to build a culture, to build, to build something of that nature. And it's starting around, it's coming around. The problem is comedians, they don't feel like other every comedian says well you can't teach funny i was like well i'm not teaching funny that's that's an archaic way of thinking right. if you think you can teach someone to be funny then you're silly but what you can do is you can spark the mind that can be able to have them understand who they are on the inside i tell everybody my workshop and myself in general i am the gas station along your journey when you're down on fuel and you're hungry and you need some snacks, you come into my gas station, you fill up, you get your snacks, you get your drink, and then you take off. And I'll be waiting for the next one. That's what that's what I am. And that's what I do with my workshop. I'm just trying to try something different that hasn't really been done. And I haven't seen it be done. And just trying to invest in people and nurture them. That's what it's all about. It's really beautiful, man. You're like you're literally trying to mentor people and do good things with your time. You don't hear that a lot these days, and I think that's why I was kind of, uh, you know, lured into your your, your web, Rob Santos. <laughs> I heard you speak, I and I was it. like, this. You just sound like a genuinely nice fucking person, and uh, I appreciate it. I hear you speak openly about you know depression and mental illness and and mental well-being health-wise and stuff like that and you know i i heard you say on your show that you actually have been diagnosed with a few yourself uh yeah. including but not limited to i believe bipolar uh borderline personality disorder which i just heard about for the first time the other day and when i i looked up the symptoms and uh i go man feel like i've run into a couple of these motherfuckers in my life <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 ugly it really is it's mm. it's super tough man so um, I, I i understand 
you know, that it's not like like schizophrenia, like you don't hear fucking voices. But literally with with bipolar, manic depressive, highs and lows, you know, that's that's kind of the game is sometimes you you the most excited, but sometimes you're the most sad, the most angry, the most you know, and that's that's gotta be something that is really tough to uh to kind of get the reins on yeah because the, just the world in general will drive you fucking crazy you know i try to be a good person every goddamn day and then i read the shit on the news about these people and i'm just like well fuck it then i don't even know what i'm doing this for and it's just you have those moments where sometimes it's hard to keep moving and uh, i can only imagine if you've got other hurdles like that other things that are just like no really fuck it all <laughs> and you have yeah. to fight that struggle every day or the the voice in your head that goes i could light this whole fucking place on fire that'd be pretty mm-hmm. cool <laughs> you know yeah. you fight oh, all these yeah. these urges and uh you know that's really good i'm i'm glad that you found a way to balance that and to turn it into a weapon man that's that's pretty impressive well, I appreciate you. Look, I have my tough days. Like, I'll be honest with you. If uh, so, like, you, you have you seen you seen the second Batman, right? The the Dark Knight, where yes. um, Heath Ledger plays Joker. Absolutely. That's kind of what it's like, right? Where, the, and the best way to sort of like encapsulate what it is that it's like to have borderline, is remember that scene where he has all that money and he's burning it in front of all the drug dealers and all the crime lords. Yes. That's what it's like having BPD. You just want to watch the fucking world burn. (laughs) And there's, it's either, you're either high or low. And then when you're in the middle, there's something called disassociation where you're just like, like, I don't know how to be in the middle. And because I don't know how to be in the middle, I'm just like, well, what's going on? Am I okay? Is everything all right? It's like it's almost like you're you're a voyeur to your own life, and it drives me crazy because I get so scared, I get paranoid. Um, but if I'm in full rage mode, like I my my two polarities, I live with intense rage and intense fear and sadness. And I actually had a friend of mine from my job. She was talking to a friend of mine. I mean, not a friend, a, a psychiatrist who's retired about me. And he just labeled everything. And he mentioned ECT, which is electroconvulsion therapy, which used to be called electroshock therapy, which puts it in your head to like they put they put you to sleep and they put these uh, portions on these uh, things on your head and they have they, you know, they zap you, what have you. But because since the electricity that runs into your brain, it just it's like it's like jumpstarting your mind. You know, it's like getting jumbo cables on your brain. And because of that, what I live with is because he mentioned that I have high, severe case of it. Very, very severe case of it. Like, you, you ever heard of Pete Davidson? Yeah. So Pete and I, I actually know Pete. I'm cool with Pete. Uh, him and I came up in New York. So what happens with me is like what happens borderlines is it's all about relationships. Like, I've been with my girlfriend 16 years. When I tell other psychologists and psychiatrists that, they're like, wait a minute, how did you do that? Like, they're baffled. You know, they're like, because with borderline, we don't trust anybody. We think people are going to leave us. We think all this crazy shit is going to happen. And then we do drastic shit to try to keep them close. So we think they'll never leave us. So the thing that he's doing is he wants to get married to Ariana Grande after three weeks or four weeks of being with her. So he's getting tattoos. Exactly. That's what people with borderline do. 
you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants, legit. Pretty much, man. Every moment is the moment. I don't even think it's hard for me to think in the future, and I barely remember yesterday sometimes. Man, you but know what? The, it's crazy because it, I feel like, as far as motivation, as you know, as as progression, you would always be, you know, that would be good. Mm-hmm. But if you can't turn it off. You know what I'm saying? Then at nighttime, mm-hmm. when you're trying to fucking sleep, <laughs> or you're yeah. trying to 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 have a, a day with your child, a nice, calm, fucking, relaxing day, and then you're sitting here thinking about how to to make that group of people, you know, fucking react. It's man, yeah. it seems like it would get tough. It's 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 fucking scary. It's like there's this book. If anyone out there is listening, right, and they have they they're dealing with something and, and they're creative. There's this book called Touch with Fire. It's by K. Ray Redfield Jameson. It opens up the idea between manic depression and art and artistry. And because I've been having this, because because of my social, like my social life is very hard. Like I'm not gonna front. For the past two weeks, I've had suicidal thoughts. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. They're just they're just thoughts. You don't act on them. There's a difference between having suicidal thoughts versus suicidal tendencies. I don't have suicidal tendencies, but I have the thoughts. And then with Anthony Bourdain. With Kate Spade, and the um, this over uh you know, this essentialism, like sense, like ah, I can't like sensualization of it, what have you, Sensa- of them sensationalism, yeah, sensationalism and all that that's been taking place on the news, on Twitter. It just, it's like because I'm not famous, I'm a fucking nobody, so therefore no one cares except for the people that are, are around me, and that's what I like. But with those people, like who took themselves out and I feel bad for them it's like you know now it makes it alluring to those who are feeling that way because then the people are feeling like the way I feel they feel like oh I'm, I'm just like Kate Spade I'm just like Anthony Bourdain I, I can you know but then at the same time I'm also like they're fucking lucky because they get to sleep right and having mental illness it's like there's some days where you want it to stop and there's some days you want it to end. And past month after, because I had to let somebody go from a TV show that I'm working on, it got so intense and so bad that my lung co- part of my lung collapsed because of a condition I have. I got a fever. And I was laying on my couch for a whole week because I knew I had to let this person go, and it hurt me so bad to do it. And even my daughter was noticing that I wasn't feeling well. And then for the past few weeks, all I do is sleep. I meditate, I breathe, I do my mantra, and it helps me sleep. So that's how I calm myself down. But it gets so intense sometimes that I don't want to be awake. And I don't want to die. So I just want to go to sleep. Right. And that's the only way I get through the days because I'm afraid of hurting my family. And I'm afraid of hurting anyone else that I love. So you put the monster to bed. Pretty much. And the, and the crazy thing is, this is why I'm reading the book, is because what I don't get is, and this is, it's been driving me crazy for years, it's like, but when my name is called, and I'm about to get on stage, I forget everything. That's when the fire starts, huh? Exactly. I have this insane level of high awareness. Like, I can close my eyes, and I can feel where everyone is, based off of their aura, their energy, their sounds it's like i have this it's like being daredevil you know where you can just all the other senses are heightened yeah. and i can 
feel everyone in the room. That's why I know why I can and can't go with people. You know, that's why I'm responsible. I tell my students all the time, don't be respectful, be responsible. Because if you're respectful, you lose your edge. And the biggest thing about every com comedian, you know this, is you need that fucking edge. And when you're being respectful, all you're doing is thinking about whether or not you're going to offend them. But if you're being responsible, then you understand that your words have merit and that the things that you're saying mean something. And that means you're going to discern those words in a way that's proper so that those feelings that come out from those words are going to connect with people. But when I'm on stage, I forget where I'm at. I just react. Everything is muscle memory. All I'm doing is I'm so in the moment and so engaged that I'm just there. I'm at peace. You know, I don't have borderline. I'm not a father. I, I don't struggle financially. I'm not, you know, I, I hadn't had to get rid of someone from my show. I, but I talk about everything in my life. One thing I learned from Dave Chappelle, because when I was going through this shit of transitioning from somebody to get my show back, it was I learned from Chappelle about what he did and what he would say. He's like, just put it in your work. And that's what I've been doing. And people like it because I'm fucking real with it. And that's why I can connect with younger millennials because I'm fucking honest. That's all they want is some fucking honesty. But once the set is over, then I go back to that disassociation that I was telling you about to that and then maybe go to splitting, which is, you know, having those high senses of, of insanity. <laughs> like the motherfucking Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a very nice way of putting it. That's why, like, I, I enjoy growing up. I've always enjoyed the anti-hero. Thor, no, Thor, I'm sorry, uh, Thanos, Daredevil, uh, uh, not Daredevil, I'm sorry, um, Deadpool, um, and, 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 and the Hulk. Because they weren't, they weren't neither good nor bad. You know what I'm saying? People considered Thanos the mad titan a bad guy, but if you, the guy's a farmer. And if you look at the end of the movie, man, and he's just sitting there and enjoying his work, he all, we all have ambitions, but he's a farmer. I think very, the, very, uh, Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. The on-stage thrill. Like, it's, it's really crazy to hear you, it, you know, tell it that way because i've i've done it a few times so i felt the rush and i got a taste of it so i know what you're talking about right but i know kind of what you mean by when you're there you're just there like nothing else matters yeah i think that's why like i kind of had to take a step away from it because i have a, a pretty addictive personality when it comes mm. to things that i enjoy like that mm -hmm. and that little that little rush i got Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a little too much for me right now. I got a baby. I got a wife. And with all due respect, and I just spoke about this yesterday with my other buddy. Um, you know, there are plenty of people out there who are trying to get the stage time right now. I don't want to be the guy that shows up and takes away from them when I'm the dude that's doing it just to get the charge once in a while. You know what I'm saying? I love it. I really, really do. And maybe one day there'll be a place for it. But given my history uh i have a fa i have a family like people that really do love me and mm -hmm. that's just not gonna work right now it's just not and it sucks but mm. i'll enjoy the family more you know get that time while i can get it oh hell yeah that's so important i'm the type of dude i'm I, like i'll i'll walk away from it i will like i'll like i almost didn't want to do comedy after the shit that i've been through with my show man it's just yeah. like what a, it, it drove me crazy. Tell me about that. Is it 
is it beige on both sides? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called beige on both sides. I saw that. Uh, explain to me what's going on with that. Is it like a, a, a stand-up show? Is it online content? Like, what is that? So, the story is essentially about um, me connecting with my daughter. Okay. Um, I write letters to my daughter as if she's older. So that when she gets to that age, whether I'm about to die or maybe she's in college, way at college or something like that, she'll get to read those letters. But she's learning what her father was like from his voice, yeah, from his words. It's similar. I got the idea from uh, was I was watching Tupac's um, movie, uh, the one that he had. That was out a while ago. I can't remember the fucking name, oh, but he was. It was the one where he was narrating it, you know, like it's just it was so weird. It's like, dude, this guy's talking to us from the fucking dead. This shit's crazy, you know. Um, and I was like, damn, that'd be awesome to do with a kid, you know. And then when I had my daughter, right, when we had our daughter, um, I just started writing letters to her as if she's older. When I take videos of her, I always talk to her as if she's in the future, you know. And so what it does is it always creates that sense of um, comfort that sense of connectivity. So the story is about a uh, stand-up comic, Rob, um, who's trying to confront the, the de- demons in his head, um, you know, living with a mental illness and just, you know, constantly being a comedian, be- being a comedian because it's, it's a lonely, lonely thing. He has an estranged girlfriend. And you ever heard the term to say it takes a village to raise a child? Yes. Why can't the same be said for a man? And the person I was working with, she really put it encapsulated into a really, really nice uh, line where it's just like they say it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a child to raise a father. And so that's I really like that. And that's what the story is about. It's about him connecting with his daughter through these letters. Um, It sets the tone for every single episode. Um, So you see Rob meet all these different people through his through his time. And he learns something from him and he sort of adds that to who he is. And that's where it all comes about. Like the person, like he used to, like Rob runs away from everyone else, but Rob can't run away from his daughter. He knows that he has to be there for her and he wants to connect with her, you know? So he can run away from his estranged girlfriend, but, you know, there's that will there, won't they? But his daughter's like, no. Like he's, she's the only woman that he's never lied to. So he's he's unapologetically honest with his daughter because he doesn't want to lie to another woman again. And that's where the story is. You see these two coming together. You see him in all these different places, meeting on these different people and just learning and and to find out who he is on the inside, to find out what type of man he wants to be. And that's what that journey is. You know? So is this um, something that's like a script or is this actually on video? Like what is... So this is a scripted piece. Yeah, it's a dramedy. Okay. It's a dramedy. So... Uh, a couple, like a, a couple, like years and some change ago, I approached a friend of mine who I'm very, very cool with, or at least I was cool with, um, to help me write the scripts. Um, she liked it so much, she liked the idea so much that she wanted to help fund it. I'm like, well, uh, well, let's see what we can do first. You know, like I never wanted her to pay for anything, yeah. because what happens is, and this is what, and this is what all due respect, especially white people with power and money, you know, they. I'm taking they a don't piece. Un- give me a piece, and I'll give you yeah. some money. <laughs> I'm sorry, exactly. but that's it's the like, way it works. I get a piece. Yeah. Right. It's don't like they start me. taking liberties with shit. 
And they think they're helping, but they don't realize what they're doing is problematic. I'm a young black guy from, you know, New Britain, Connecticut, living in Hartford now. You know, I've, I've never seen, you know, I only get a certain chunk of money once every year. You know what I'm saying? Like, every other time I'm living check to check, you know? So I didn't want that to be the recipe for our disaster. And that's kind of what started happening. Yeah. So approached her to make the scripts. I had her daughter be a part of it. And I'm just going to be honest with you because like they're starting to upset me. But I only had her daughter be a part of it because I wanted her to control her mom. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> like for real like i'm just being honest hey, i gotta appreciate the hustle that's that's good yeah <laughs> you know I'm, I'm i'm trying to be smart about this you know and make sure I just she's wanna... committed if her kid's involved gotcha. right or just because she can be because she can be so aggressive and straightforward and sometimes when you have somebody who has the mindset of an arrow that just goes through anything you know what i'm saying it's hard to tell somebody anything different even if they think that they're being, you know what I'm saying? If even if they think that what the other person is saying is helpful, they, 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 when they got their own way, they just run. So that's why I had her daughter be a part of it to kind of help bring her down off, off the, you know, ledge sometimes when she was acting like that. And it did, it, 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 it worked. So we wrote the scripts and I'm reading the scripts and the scripts are all right, but I, you know, I'm feeling like there's something missing, but I didn't want to say anything. I was so afraid that if I said something that my show would never get done that I would never see the light of day. Like I was desperate. Like I was I was in such a bad place. It's like, man, I I'm tired of just running around chasing money. I'm not doing anything substantial. I'm just in a, I'm just stuck. You know, I, I came back from New York. You know, I'm watching all my friends get put on TV. My friends getting SNL writing jobs in LA and New York. And I'm just, you know, in Connecticut raising my family, which I'm okay with. But I but there was just it wasn't what I wanted a hundred percent. You know, and and that's when I approached them. So we went through the process, and once things started getting going this year, because it took us about over a year to really get it going, because my job and shit, and just their lives and all that. You gotta so pay this the bills, past man. year, <laughs> what's that? So you gotta pay the fucking bills. Exactly. <laughs> and so beginning of 2018, actually, so this one of the local TV networks out here, I met this guy. He was buying an Apple Watch for his wife. He hands me a card. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yo, hit him, hit me up. You know, give send me an email, shoot me a line, whatever. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then I looked around. I was like, man, I ain't doing this shit. You know, whatever. This is another guy trying to sell me a dream. Past traumas, borderline. Yeah. Me not trusting anybody at all. You know, it's hard for me to develop relationships, right? Yeah. So like my past traumas stopped me from almost stopped me from doing something that was an opportunity because I've heard, man, I've been sold dreams over and over again. So I emailed them after the holiday season. Then I get a um, I get an email from this woman. Her name is Mallory Mason. Wonderful, wonderful woman. This woman is helping. She's the reason why I'm being pushed the way I'm being pushed. She um, we, we correspond through email. She says that she loves my material because she's also black and Puerto Rican, and then she it spoke to her because she understands the struggle, you know. And I started writing more black and Puerto Rican material as now that I think about it. But uh, <laughs> the thing is, she she's seen she's seen him, and she was she was happy with him. She loved him. And she felt a connectivity with me. So then we go and we meet. We finally get a chance to meet after a month of corresponding through email, and. 
I meet her up for the, I meet up with the first time. Now the woman I was working with said, Rob, when you go in there, you know, don't talk about your traumas. I'm talking about none of that stuff. Just, you know, just be businesslike. I'm like, all right, cool. So I went in there and about five minutes into it, I'm like, fuck this. I can't do this. I was <laughs> like, look, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. This is who I am. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. I can't be anybody else but me. I don't know how to pretend. I don't know how to try to make you try to sell myself. It's like I sell myself by being me. Right. If you don't like it, I don't know what to say. It's the best I can and, do, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, for real. And, and she was just like, and then towards the end of the meeting, she was like, you know what I like about you, Rob? It's like within the first five minutes of our conversation, you you told me everything. You you opened up to me in a way that most people don't. And I was like, yeah, because I just, I don't know how to be any other fucking way. You know, I, I told her, like, I'm a, I'm a psychopath. But I, I'm a psychopath with a heart. And I think that's what made her really respect me. And I told her about Beige on Both Sides. And she loved it. I sent her the scripts. She loved the scripts. And then that's when I went to the woman I was working with. Um, I was like, hey, let's go to this TV station because they're willing to get this, help us out with this. But at almost every turn, it's like they don't have, they don't have money. They're small time. They're this. It's like, what the oh, hell man, are we? Man. We're freelancers. Yeah, it costs a lot to make a TV show. Exactly, you know, and I'm just like, no, let's just, you know, do this. And and the main reason why I did that is because I didn't want her to finance everything. Because I knew once they financed everything, that I would, that I wouldn't have much say on anything because you're not paying for she, it. <laughs> exactly, and then that's where you feel like you're locked in chains. You feel like, with all due respect, I feel like I'm working for her. That's what it felt like. So even though like being kind and generous, I don't like that. I'm tethered to you now. If I mess up, you can just walk away and I'm left with nothing, you know? And at that time I should have wised up and just said, look, I'm good. Let me go talk to these people and go from there. So what ended up happening afterwards, the interest from them was pretty good. Then we, um, we wrote three scripts together and we shot two episodes. So we shoot, we go to, we have this event at the Mark Twain house, which is a great, great venue. I actually performed there. It was great. But the issue that I was having was it's like, I watched my show and the only thing black about my show was me. It was so colonized and whitewashed that I didn't recognize it. And then I looked at the credits and I'm seeing all these people with credits. I'm like, when the fuck do we talk about this? Who's this? Who's that? Right. And I'm like, yo, this person's taking this fucking liberties with my shit. And then at the event, I, she was telling me, Rob, don't talk about where you come from. Don't talk about your mental illness. Don't talk about none of that stuff. It's like, don't talk about anything like that. Like, don't talk about where you come from. Like, all that stuff. You know, like, don't give any background history, Rob. Don't talk about me is what I basically took from that. Tone it down, Rob. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just, like, don't be you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what the fuck? Being me is what got me here. And then she goes on stage and she starts talking about her. And it was like the whole event was about her. Like, look what I did. Look what I did with this guy. Because before that, she would marginalize me in front of network executives. She would put other people down to make to build herself up. And she didn't realize she was doing it. Like she said to some of these network execs, like, I made everybody on this project look good. And then she started naming names. And I was like, God damn, white confidence. 
And you know what I mean? That's what that's what I call it. I call it white confidence. And I'm that's, actually working on a bit. Nah, man, too. that's big dick confidence right there. <laughs> oh, from and that's what it is too, man, because women, man, liberal white women, man, they think they're a minority until some minority shit happens and they didn't know how to and then they don't know how to act. You know? So like that ends up going down. Like she did that, and the woman Mallory Mason, she was in, she was in a lot of these uh, meetings too, and and I could tell that she wasn't filming her, you know. So with just me by looking at their body language and picking up on them, it's like, man, they're not filming this woman. It's like I'm not letting this woman fuck my shit up, yeah. you know. But she would put me down another fuck. It was like, it was almost like I'm the show creator, but you couldn't tell. So you know the the end result. I mean, did she? end up jeopardizing your like is that your property rob so the, they now so, have episodes yeah. of your show that are theirs and you can't have it did they ccr you buddy what the fuck happened i almost got chappelle so this <laughs> like for real like so this is this is when i knew it was over i was standing on the side because i didn't want to walk in you know because i didn't want anyone to see me so i wanted to wait till you know they presented me um I saw that the woman's daughter, who was one of the writers on with me on the show, was denying my mother and my girlfriend a seat to sit in the front row. Now, I couldn't hear what was going on, but I saw the back and forth, and I saw my mother's eyes. And I always tell people, it's like, if there's one thing, you do not uh-huh. mess with a man's mom, especially if it's a single parent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially a black man's mother, you know, because that's all I had. <laughs> gonna get fucked up <laughs> yeah man and then the girl she was just like no nah, i can't sit here whatever whatever and my mom was like no my son said i could sit here my son robert said i can sit here which is me being the creator of the show and they're like no no you can't and then my mother's like hey don't worry my girlfriend's name is erica erica don't worry you can sit down you can sit anywhere you want and my girlfriend she was telling me she was like when she was doing that i was thinking it's like why are you doing this like you know me you know what i'm saying like that's the thing with people with power you know, they don't understand how problematic that is. You know, they think that they're obeying the rules and they're putting the rules out there. But what they don't get is like they're doing something wrong. And that's what let me know I didn't have any power anymore. So when it was over, I let her go. But since everything was bought by her and I already signed a release, you know, for my likeness and shit for the show. Yeah. No ownership or nothing. But since she, you know, paid for everything under her production label. Both episodes belong to her, and since we copyrighted the scripts, but they're all they're partially copywritten in all three of our names, I have equal ownership, and I can't do anything with them. So I'm like Tina Turner. All I left with is my name, and even then, even then, I leave I leave a beige on both sides, the title, and I leave with the concept of the show. So now I got to start from scratch. But now this is the worst part is that since I signed that release, they're basically taking the uh, the name and they're promoting themselves on their Instagram page, using my likeness, my show name, which I own, and using it to promote themselves because she paid for it under her LLC. Yeah. So now they're doubling down on ignorance and they're pushing me to the side to the point where they show that with, with all due respect with certain white people with power is what they do. They feel entitled. So now she feels she can go about doing this in a way that puts me down 
and still doesn't realize it. Just still doubling down on ignorance. When I fired her, I told her, it's like, you made me feel like a nigga. I told her straight up. It's like, yo, you did this, you did this, you did this. And all she said is, Rob, you're being a victim. I'm not going to let you uh, attack me. It's like, I'm not attacking you. I'm telling you exactly what you did. But when, what happens when you punch a bully in the mouth? Yeah. They don't, they don't know how to take it. So now... A little setback. Oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. So there is a happy ending so almost to this story where now the television network I'm working with, I get to write three episodes. They're going to pay me to write three episodes. They're just coming up with a deal. They've never done with something like this before where they're giving me autonomy and they're, uh, we're doing a partnership. So they have to get the language correct. So... This is all going to be fun. So now I get to do the show the way I fucking want to do it. More raw and better storytelling. And really, this business sucks. It really, <laughs> Sorry. You know what? It's it's the monster. It's the, the nature of the beast as far as, uh, you know, entertainment goes, man. It happens every fucking day. It's crazy yep. because that lady suffers from a disease, too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's something in her brain that once she gets dead set on something, she fucking takes over. You know? We're, yeah. all, we're all just a bunch of crazy motherfuckers in our own mm-hmm. sense looking for our own little thing to stroke our ego or our fucking heart or whatever it is that we need to keep going. Mm-hmm. It just sucks because in that case, now you did, you did, you got CCR'd. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking John Fogarty. And you yeah, can't, man. Never, can't never play them Credence songs anymore. And you're like, God mm. damn it. Yeah, Fuck man. Fuck this game. <laughs> but the thing was, though, the reason why I lucked out was because when I watched the show, I'm like, yo, this show's for white people, man. This show is not just for, like, white. I'm, not talk- I'm talking about the white person, the generic white person who's who lives in a high-rise somewhere. You know what I mean? It's not for real people. Like, you're a real person no matter what fucking color you are. You know what I'm saying? This shit was placating people to kind of get this nice sort of like this nice pretty storytelling you know it's like it wasn't raw it wasn't what i wanted it wasn't like my stand-up you know it wasn't like my podcast it wasn't like it wasn't my voice and when i saw it i would have told like i don't want to use any of that shit let's redo it (laughs) like i don't like any of it and it's so i'm like i had to move on it's crazy because you know with television especially if we're talking about network tv there definitely Mm -hmm. is a formula to it yeah and maybe they were right for for how to make a tv show and maybe you just don't belong on network television sorry rob maybe you're an hbo guy you know or or a netflix guy yeah you should be able to to have your freedom to to do it the way you want to do it because it's an interesting fucking story I appreciate it. I hope that these people give you the opportunity, and I hope that you know you've learned from from the past situation. But also, you can't put up a wall because there might legit be somebody out there who's willing to just fund you to say, "Do it, make it, make it happen." Here you go. Let me know. Don't lose my money, fuckface. (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you, it's funny because like that's what I'm getting with this local TV network. And the funny thing is, because like living with BPD is like I don't feel sometimes unless it gets to that insane extreme. So because of this, and I've like I said, I've been sold the dream so much that them working with me, giving me this money to write this show, I don't, 
I don't understand the pressure. I don't get it. You know, like, I'm like, all right, whatever. Just let's do this. Like, I should be happy and excited about it. It's like, no, nah, let's just do the work. I'll find happiness when this is over, maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But in the meantime, let's just put this time in. You know, let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I get to do it my way now. I got this freedom. Let's go. You know, my, I own my show title, my concept. That's all I fucking need. I'll figure out the rest as I go along. Don't worry. Just, just make this fucking show. And they're going to give me liberties and everything. Like I said, I have responsibility. And because I understand that responsibility, that's why this thing's going to be done right. And it's going to be done the way that I want it. And that's what I can, like, look, it took Dave Chappelle like 18, 19 pilots to finally get Chappelle's show. It took me one to get on a network, even though it's a small network. But these small networks have actually ushered careers. And because of the part of the deal that I want them to put it in, it's like I want them to be able to like to shop my show around to other networks like a HBO, like a Netflix. And then we make it bigger. <coughs> so it's a blessing. I really hope that it works out, man. And maybe it's not this. This might not be the thing. Maybe it's the next thing. Maybe it's yeah. the next, next thing. But the point right. is, it, it should keep you motivated enough to know that you're doing what you like, what you love. Fuck it. I, I tell you what, this is, I'm happy to a certain extent if I can say that. Or I feel good enough where it's like, this opportunity is keeping me awake. Is that not the point? I mean, I'm not trying to be rude because I don't, I don't have, I shit, I've I'm always been crazy. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> uh, I know that I definitely have a warped sense of reality given the, the incidents. I, you know, I've had all of mm-hmm. it, bro. I, I've, I've run the gamut with abuse. Mm-hmm. I'm oddly okay most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah. I have my fuck it days, and they're mm-hmm. very, they're very bad. That, you know, and I feel like shit the next day because it, it's it's life, man. It's tough. Yeah. Some days it gets really fucking hard, mm-hmm. and, and I really can appreciate the fact that you know you're taking it's what it's what you know at this point. This show it has to be kind of your baby because it's what you know. It's it's your realest of real. It's the shit mm-hmm. that you've lived, the shit that you go through on a day to day basis, and. uh I think that you need to be given that opportunity because you seem like a really interesting fucking guy, Rob. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Not your you not know. your everyday average crazy person, right? <laughs> nah. Put it on my, I just, put it on my business just, card. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I think that's why people like me because I'm, I'm very honest. Sometimes I'm honest to a fault. But, you know, like, living with my, my mom was honest. My dad's honest. Like, you know, to a certain extent, it's just like, yo, I speak my mind. My little girl's honest. It's like, you know, my, my, my girl, she has this sarcasm that's in her, too, and she's honest. And the thing is, it's like all the times that I was dishonest, those were the times where life was problematic for me. It's where I had those fuck it days and those shit days. Yeah. But the thing about it is I also have ADHD. You know how some people take Adderall to pick them up? Mm-hmm. I take Adderall to calm you down. <laughs> And even then, that doesn't calm me down. My mind moves so fast that, but when I'm engaged in conversation with people or on stage, it's just like my brain waves, they just, they slow down and I'm able to pick up on everything. And it's just like, how does, how the fuck does that happen? 
So when I'm like, when this is over, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'll probably play video games, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and just chill with my family. But sometimes it's like, you know, I'm, I'm so tired because my mind moves so fast. And I get these headaches and I'm just like exhausted upstairs because like, damn, man, I can control this shit. So I'm very fortunate that I'm able to be a functioning person. Um, not many people get this opportunity. And the same thing for yourself. It's like, you know, you're aware of what you're feeling and you're dealing with. And it's awesome that you have that ability to discern it and still be productive. Like you're doing this great podcast. Like shit, Sean was telling me all about it man. he was raving about you. And I'm like, I'm fucking happy to be a part of this shit. You know, he said, like you said, you were super easy to talk to. I'm like, yeah, you are. I love it. <laughs> I said, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half, man. <laughs> oh, word shit. I don't even know. I'm, I'm, now I'm waking up a little bit. So like, yeah, this is, this is a blessing. I'm, I'm super happy to be a part of this. I really am. Well, I, I want to ask you, because I know uh, when we were setting it up, do you have to go to work in like 20 minutes? Because if you do, we can start wrapping shit up. I just, uh, you know, oh, having a nah, good time man. talking to you, buddy. I'm sitting here, just smokes. <laughs> Actually, it. no, I um, I have this thing. So because I'm a psychopath, I have this thing with, with this uh, the insurance company, Cedric, where I can call out at least once or, once a week, yeah. if need be, because of what I deal with upstairs. So it's like, you know, I call them up and it's called an intermittent absence and they and it gets covered. <laughs> so I get to get covered for the day. <laughs> so I'm good. To I'm good. Out, you're going to blow your spot, man. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I just know they know it. That's why we do it. Like, I for real, like yesterday was because the thing is on the weekends, I'm being real. Sometimes on the weekends I work at I look, I, I work at a um, uh, what do I what do I call it? I normally call it. Like, I call it the fruit stand. Yeah, the fruit stand. <laughs> it, yeah, gotcha. you know. So so people come to the fruit stand on a weekend in the mall. It's fucking insanity, man. I bet you, you sell know, the it, shit out of them out of out of them fruit fruit uh, boxes though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, I you do my seem, thing. You seem like a talker, and I bet you get in there and you're like, check out this fruit box. It's got all these <laughs> awesome fucking things, and you can talk. You can talk to your mama. You can. <laughs> exactly. I. You know. I actually know what I do more than anything else this i go deep with my customers and i connect with them on a level that no <laughs> one connects with them for real that's good and bad man because i'll be honest with you if i'm mm -hmm. trying to buy a fucking phone like i went uh, a couple years ago i switched to t-mobile and right. they sent in one dude who was kind of trained to train like six teenagers right before christmas <laughs> right Bro, <laughs> I have never wanted to fucking start breaking shit more <laughs> in my life than sitting here listening to these kids who don't know shit trying to yeah. explain to me how the shit works. And I'm like, okay, uh, well, mm -hmm. okay. but well, you've all right, then they're like, hold yeah. on, let me ask him. And I'm like, god damn it, I spent three and a half hours. <laughs> Oh, and all I wanted funny. was somebody who knew what the fuck they were talking about to talk to yeah. me for 10 minutes and tell me what's up so we can get the fuck out of here mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. it's, I want to run into you because you know what you're doing and you're willing to talk but mm -hmm. 45 minutes later I'm like alright then dude <laughs> see that's the thing I can pick those guys out quick like, <laughs> like I size a motherfucker up before they even like 
as they walk into the store. I know what this person's going to be like before I even open my mouth, before I even say hi to them. I'm looking at their body language. I'm looking at the way they're dressed. I'm looking at the expressions on their face. I'm looking how they're holding their phone. I'm looking at all these different aspects. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's some, the, that's some the, good shit. Yeah, that's man. Like, I'm, I'm already in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, my mind immediately goes to that place. Like, I, I'm just there. And what I do is I always start off with something weird cause just to fuck with them. And depending on what level they take that on lets me know where I can go. And then eventually there's always three things that people like, not three, there's always a handful of things people can relate to kids, school, and where they're from, you know? Yes. Like those aspects is what I normally figure out, you know? And before you know it, I'm not even talking to him about the fruit boxes you love to call them. Yeah, <laughs> trying. You know, I want to get sued, so let's call them fruit boxes. Fruit boxes, but it's but the thing is, it's like I can properly navigate my conversational skills on them, my interpersonal skills. Yeah, I'm fearless. You like a Jedi? Like I, like, hey, what's I, up, man? Let's talk. And then pretty much, yeah. yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And before you know it, I'm telling them shit that they may not expect to hear. And they're telling me shit they may not expect to say. You know, and I'm being, it happens ninety percent of the time. Not lying. Get on somebody's beard game. That's a good way. Fucking talk, man, dude. Look at that fucking beard. Shit. Oh, I wish I could grow some shit like this. You put oil in that. Yeah, immediately, immediately. I look at everything, man. Oh, I I go down to the shoes. God damn. I'm 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 all bottles. over it. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's a couple dudes with beards that come in. There's this one guy that came in here. He had this long hair, and I mentioned something about that. And then and then also his accent was from he had a Brooklyn accent. And I told him that I named my daughter Brooklyn. He, I had him, I had him. Oh, that's quick, man. No, oh, I had him within 30 seconds. <laughs> I like the way you communicate, you know. man. It's funny. I was listening to the latest. What's the name of your podcast? What? Oh, it's called Trees Falling in the Woods. I need to call it uh, Rob Talks to a White Dude. <laughs> Rob Talks <laughs> that's a, what it is. Rob Talks at a White Dude. <laughs> I like that at a white guy. Oh, I fucking find it hilarious. Then that's no disrespect. I listened to the show, and it's it's kind of the same thing that's happened today, man. You're very entertaining, and I don't want to step on you, man. I want to fucking wind you up and just let you fucking go. I appreciate that. I try to be so mindful of that, man, because my mind moves so quick that I have to. I, I literally have to tell myself to shut up. <laughs> no, it's okay because I, I I hate. I've only had a couple people that did it to me, but it's just if I'm literally pitchforking your ass through a conversation, I'm like, yeah. poke you. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah. How about them kids? <laughs> oh no, man. I, I one I appreciate you listening. Um, you know, I stopped wanting to do it because I kind of felt like everyone has a podcast. You know. <laughs> You know what? And I'll be completely honest with you. What you said about writing letters to your daughter, like the whole premise of your show. Yeah. That's what I'm doing, Rob. That's all I'm doing. I got a two and a half year old kid. Mm-hmm. And I live with the reality every day that you never fucking know. Right? Mm-hmm. I have pictures of family members that I've lost and people mm-hmm. that I, I genuinely miss. It's not very many people. But mm-hmm. there are some people that I'm genuine. I, I get fucking sad when I can't 
uh, like hear their voice and I start to forget about them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that like audio media, like podcast recordings, anything, you know, I've done shows with my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, we've made plans to where on holidays we're going to start doing just a little something just to sit down and like talk to our kid, you know, kind of break that fourth wall. Right. And uh, I think that's really what this is about. Like, this is that's my way of, of leaving something for my kid mainly, but anybody else, you want to hear the the legend of that motherfucker Jody B, then you can <laughs> check it out. You know, there's 80 hours of me speaking to people, and you can kind of get a feel of my personality. I dig it. I'm so, t- I think that's very noble. I like that. I don't know, man. I, I think that it's important to try to leave that for somebody because that's really what I you know how much I would love having that of those people having mm-hmm. just to hear their voice and hear how they were and their fucking jokes and their mannerisms and that backhanded shit they would say when you fall off some shit and they go ah look at you motherfucker you know? yeah yeah <laughs> shit like that like that's what I miss so I try to, to hold on to that. But anyway, I like that. I like that. I, no, I, I, I dig that. Like my with my podcast, my podcast is probably the only podcast where you can hear a child growing up. Like my, we started a podcast. My daughter was, what, three? She's six now. She went from barely talking to being all over the place. And the concept of our, our show is like, yo, if you're in the room, you're on the show. <laughs> and Hartford was like the star of the show at one point. So I just lay a, a mic down in the middle and we just talk. Well, like, like I want people to feel like you're in my living room. Like I'll get up to take a piss. You'll hear me pouring something. You know what I'm saying? Theater of the I, mind, motherfucker. What's that? Theater of the mind. It's like a reality show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yo, it, 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 listen, man. I think it's that realness, that sense of depth. You know, I'm like, yo, all right, Jeff, give me a second. I go piss, and then like, you know, like I'll I'll do that. Or like, there was one time we were burning something in the in the kitchen. My girlfriend was cooking something. It was burning, and you could hear the fire alarm, and it was going crazy. And we kept that in the show. Like, you know, for us, I want it to be as conversational as it can. Like, we we do the podcast on my couch, and I want people to feel like they're sitting on the couch with me. Have you ever considered making your show like a, a web series, like an audio series, like a podcast show? I was, I, no, I've never, I've never tried. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've, I've never really felt like that's something I would want to do. It's only because I, this is the first time that's been in my mind. Like, you know, it's been, you've mentioned it. I feel like, you know, audio books are kind of a thing. Yeah, people don't mind listening because they commute or they're working factory jobs or they're listening on their uh, their headphones at their yeah. office, fucking computer or whatever. I don't know, man. It might be. Damn, that was loud as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be. It could be easier just to get like a a, a baseline, a, a good foot hold in there without having to spend the money to film stuff. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what? That's very interesting you say that. I, I At my job the other day, there's this young girl who I I adore immensely, but she's all, she's, she, she doesn't have a lot of life experiences I do, but I don't hold that against her. You know, I mean, what, me being 35 and been through a lot of shit, you know, I'm, I'm only older than her chronologically. That's it, you know, but, you know, we have just different outlooks on life. And that's what I find so amazing is like, Yo, she has this perspective. I have this perspective. It's like, yo, I dig what you're saying. Hey, Robert, dig what you're saying. 
and it's awesome. Like, I don't feel. When it comes to conversations, I don't feel. Like, I don't go fuck. You just, yo, you feel how you feel. And I think that's remarkable. I think that's great. But this young girl, she said to this kid that who just started at, at, at the stand, and he was like, yo, this is Rob. He's hilarious. He's very, very funny. He says a lot of crazy shit, but it has a lot of logic to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, this girl's saying I'm insanely logical, which is very interesting to me. He's going to blow so, your mind, but he's fucking nuts. Good job. Yeah. Good luck. Peace. Exactly. I don't you know, know, man. I, I <laughs> went to <the> show <laughs> yesterday. I was listening to it, and uh, there was one point you came across with the kind of – it, it landed home for me. I go, all right, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> You're talking with, with your buddy. Uh, what's his, is it Dave? What's the, well, oh, my buddy? Oh, my buddy Jeff. Jeff. Jeff is from the podcast? Yeah, Jeff Dodona. He's, we're both from the Dave. same place in New Britain. Um, he's, he's like, a, I call him my riding partner. He's also my, my side man on, the, um, on, my, on my workshop. But I really respect his sensibilities as a, as a, as a writer, as a funny person, no, he, you know, he can be. You know, the show was really good. And don't Thank please you. don't take any offense. It was funny because oh, I don't know. It's cool, man. It's cool. I appreciate you even talking about it. Thank you. Uh, you guys were talking about okay in this day and age, what are we as as the general public supposed to do with people who have been condemned by society? And you were yeah. preparing, talking about Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, yeah. uh, at this point, for, I, I, I didn't see him rape a woman, mm-hmm. but he probably raped a bunch of chicks. And mm-hmm. that sucks. But do you discredit his entire archive now, his legacy, because of that? Like now Bill Cosby's not funny, or he's mm-hmm. one of the most you know, influential fucking comedians of all time. Who happened to have raped a bunch of chicks? Exactly. You draw it's a like line, you got to be on yeah. one side or the other. And the point that you made, it, it was so fucking funny when you said it because I go, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said, Well, what about George Washington? George Washington owned slaves, but he was oh, also he... the first president. Like, yeah. I, for, he technically was kind of a shitty guy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want to do? I mean, and it's like you can literally use the same defense on either one. <laughs> he said yeah. Bill Cosby was yeah. like, well, back in the fucking 60s, if you wanted to fuck, you just fucked. And you knocked yeah. him the fuck out, and then you do that. You, you rape these bitches. And then George Washington was like, well, I mean, somebody had to pick the fucking apples. And I was like, well, you know. <laughs> Right, I rem- I went. It's so funny because you mentioned that to me, and I went back and listened to it, and then I was shitting on Benjamin Franklin. You were, uh, <laughs> and uh, Jeff got mad. <laughs> yeah, he got so mad because he loves Benjamin Franklin. I just love shitting on him for it. And I told him, I was like, "Yo, you think Benjamin Franklin could sit at the table with George Washington to the rest of these people if he had no slaves?" You know what I mean? There was a lot of peer pressure to have slaves. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, and I said he saved up his money to buy a slave, which I thought was very funny when I, when I went back and I listened to it. I was like, who saves money to buy a slave? You know what I'm saying? It was like, this guy doesn't, he took out a couple loans to, to fucking get a slave. But that was the whole point, man. It's just like, yo, if you wanted to be socially accepted, there's some shit you had to do, you know? And that was the whole point of it. And that's where the Benjamin Franklin stuff started coming in and, and the George Washington shit. It's like, yo, we remember people for what we want to remember them for. 
You know, we weren't there during the 1700s, so we don't have we don't have that perspective. You know, so when I look at someone like you know Bill Cosby, I can separate the man from the art. You know, um, and I learned that very early. Like, remember when Eddie Murphy uh, allegedly? I, don't, I think it was proven that he picked up a transsexual. Yeah, did remember he, that? Did he get pulled over? Did he punch the guy, or was it just they I, got caught together somehow, some way? Got caught together. And, you know, got pulled over by the cops or whatever. And in my mind, I'm like, I was such a, def- I was so defending him until it was like confirmed and shit. And then I was like, th- 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 I probably have been like 11 years old, 11, 12 years old. You know, I'm defending Eddie Murphy because I love him. He's like, Eddie, Eddie's the God, man. And, but when I found out it was true or, you know, 90% true, whatever you want to say, because you know how allegedly this bullshit happens. Right. I was just like, why am I putting so much time and inferences in defending someone I don't fucking know? Right. And then from then on, at that age, I stopped caring. It's like, yo, people are people. Why why are we gonna discredit them for making poor decisions? You know? It's like, yeah, that's what he did. Maybe he's into that shit. Who am I to condemn him? You know? So it's like, why am I gonna like he's still funny. I still love his work. Just because he did that, it's not gonna make me stop wanting to watch him do stuff, you know. So it's just it's just weird for me, man. I think there's a weird standard there because uh, another person I believe y'all brought up was R. Kelly, and it's like yeah. he's been publicly, you know, fucking peeing on these broads and, and <laughs> having butt sex with these teenagers for years, and it's it's R. It's R. Kelly, man. What do you? Now you're mad. Yeah, man. It's just like, (laughs) and he's like, he's with all due respect, is the top rapist right now. He is the fucking like, dude. He's the Jack the Ripper of this era, man. And I say that only because he's flown under the radar so much. Oh, he's Black Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Yeah, man. But he still hasn't paid for his crimes. Like, it's like, yo, everyone needs to pay for their crimes. In some way, they have to. When you get caught out. He just happens to have a lot of fucking money where he's able to avert that. So I've had a conversation about R. Kelly before, and it's it's weird because on one hand you go, okay, I know about the video Once Upon a Time. And if that's uh, what the deal is, then that's what he does. Like, why do you expect any less or more? I mean, he's just a fucking – he's a pervert. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a pervert. I don't operate in the same field as him. You know, mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. happen to think about pussy a little more than I probably should. But right. he, you know, enjoys fucking mind fucking these these bitches, and that's what he does. You know, maybe that's not illegal, but it's kind of fucking weird. I really normally don't care about what you do with your dick. That's your business. I don't care where you where you're putting it. But when you start, you know, literally. You're mind fucking and weaving these webs with these these girls who don't know any fucking better, and they're just they're so enamored with becoming famous and and rich that they're like whatever, and mm-hmm. they do these crazy things like you know don't wash for two or three days because Kel said so, and Kel's mm-hmm. gonna call you on Thursday and go, what up girl? Tell me how that pussy smells today. Oh, save those underwear for me, and it's like. That's what, you, that's what you're trading it for. So, I mean, if that's what you're wanting to do, then do it. But 
like it's funny. Like <laughs> I remember with Floyd Mayweather, man. With Floyd Mayweather, has the guy you know money. He has all this money and shit. And then you know he's over here like hitting women and shit, like which you shouldn't do, right? And he probably has a good sense of mind control over some of these women. But then I also mentioned it like this as well, where it's like, so let's say you're a woman. You're, you know, not down on your luck, but, you know, you're, you're all right. Maybe paycheck to paycheck. Then you have someone like Floyd Mayweather who can immediately change your life. Snap his fingers. On some Thanos shit. And, and from Avengers, right? You could drop a million dollars in your lap and be like, oops. Yeah. And then your life, then you immediately think about what you can do with that. And you become so enamored with that that, you know, you, be, you, 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 you become, get in a relationship with them. So then you ask yourself, then you like, women, you're, you're involved with this, you're doing this, this guy's supplying money for you, he's paying for your bills. He's, you know, he's using this level of control, which is not a good thing. But yet, you have you could step out if you wanted to. If you were strong enough, you could step out. So, how much is it worth for you to take a punch in the face from this man to have a better life? You know what I'm saying? How bad and, do you want it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and the thing is, it's like, look, we all we all do things we don't want to do to get to places where we have to get to no matter what yeah it just so sometimes happens sometimes it's working fucking 15 hours a day and saturday mm-hmm. you know right and sometimes exactly. it's sucking a dick and sometimes it's catching a right hand <laughs> sometimes From... it's dressing up like a fucking clown you know what i'm saying it's yeah so we all <laughs> do shit we don't want to do to get to where we want to and the thing is sometimes and then when you stand up against it that's great. You have your integrity. You have your, you know, you have your dignity. But then when those opportunities don't come back for you, who are you going to be mad at? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, the buy. structure of this business, <laughs> the structure of people in power has always been the same fucking way yeah. since the dawn of time. What makes you think it's going to change now because of a hashtag? You know what I'm saying? No matter what hashtags out there, people in power have always been this way, and it's tough. I experienced it on a small level. I think it's a little better though now. You don't think? I, I think it is like because for, we're smarter now. Well, how about for for instance with your show? You know, you said yep. these people happen to own the the pilot episodes, um, and in some facets, you know, rights to to your show. Mm-hmm. Let's say ABC picks it up. Let's do mm-hmm. it. They they do a whole thing. Do you really think that that fucking show is going to gain any traction? That if eventually they find out that the creator and former executive producer, meaning you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, is a, a, a Latin African American <laughs> fucking dude who basically the entire story is modeled around and these white people came in and just fucking get like it would never work like they would shut that shit down so fast so that's good it gives you that that kind of security to know that you know they're not going to be able to take it any further if without giving you some money (laughs) so totally it's like like, a landmine out there rob actually if you really think about it let's say they pick the shit up all you have to do is, is go to one of these fucking, 
you know, hashtags and, and say, hey, by the way, uh, that's my show. I wrote it. Yeah. It's about me. And then people yes. go, what? And they connect the dots. And then you turn into that lady from The Matrix <laughs> who mm-hmm. got paid 20 years later because she took that shit in there and they said no. And then they stole her goddamn idea and mm-hmm. then got paid fat, fat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's why things have gotten better. I just look at it from the perspective of how pervasive this shit is. It is bad. You're selling your soul a little bit. Yeah, man. Really yeah. Bad. If you want to be famous, you're going to sell your soul. That's how it works. <laughs> pretty much and think about any trauma that you've ever been in your life no matter what you deal with that will constantly be shown in your face at all times yeah and and you have to fight those demons and it's tough because not many people are built for it so it's it's weird but that's just sort of the progression now things are changing you know i i think they are um but at the same token it's just what are you still willing to do to sell yourself out right. to get what you want you selling out or buying in exactly and that's why from the beginning talking about that band man these guys are doing what they need to do to feed their families man i don't hit on anybody that needs to stop what they do to feed their family like when i was doing comedy in new york when i first started there was a group of guys i was working with they're all white guys um except one light-skinned black dude but they liked him because he was on the real world so he had a credit um i was just as good if not funnier than some of the guys i was working with but the thing is it was it didn't matter but there was this one guy who was a promoter booker you know like a manager uh so one minute or one day it felt like they were and the guy he was he's gay so one minute these guys are on my level you know we're doing stuff together you know stage time blah 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 and then the next minute because of the, the guy that they work with, the gay guy, they're doing other shows. And they're in other venues. And they're doing bigger things than what I was doing. And then come to find out that when uh, there was a disagreement between some of these guys and one of the managers with the, with the guy that they're working with, that gay guy they're working with, and then all of a sudden they moved on, he got mad, and then he banned them from the place they were working at and then I never got an opportunity. But then I come to find out that I started connecting the dots. I was like, wait a minute. Were they jerking this guy off? Or something. Because, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm because I'm saying, like, I've seen it happen. Hey, a lot of people suck their way to the top. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They gain enough notoriety from this dude, got other opportunities, and they bounce from him. Well, how you go from one day or one week to being where I'm at? We're all working hard together, but then the next day or the next week, you're doing pro stuff. You're doing different spots around the city because it's like, yo, what's happening here? You know, it's just like you just you didn't get that good that quick, you know. And I'm and I'm being honest. It's like it was that immediate. It was like one week this and the next week that. I'm like, what the fuck happened? And I remember telling my girlfriend about it as it was going on, and she's like, well. Maybe, I don't know. She's like, I don't know, Rob. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, I don't know either. But it's like, I was mad. It's like, why didn't they ask me? <laughs> you know, I would have, well, at least love to give an opportunity to say no. But <laughs> that's what that business is like, man. That shit. And this was like, so this was only like nine years ago. You know, I mean, eight years ago. You know, it's like, no, about seven, eight years ago. Yeah, man. And some of these guys are on TV. Which is the crazy shit. So I've seen it. I've seen it, man. It's 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 tough, but I'm happy I got my opportunity and I did it my way. And that's all that matters to me. 
You'll find your way, man. And that's what we're here for, to try to get I'm some eyes and ears. So do me a favor. Give your plugs mm-hmm. out. Give your Instagrams, your Twitters. Your, tell everybody where to find your shit at. Oh, shit. All right. So you um, you get a lot of the information. If you guys go to robsantoscomedy.com, um, you'll find my information there. To Go to my, my Twitter, my Instagram. But my Twitter is at Mr. Santos. That's M-I-S-T-E-R Santos. Um, it's Rob Santos on uh, Facebook and on on the Instagram. It's at Muse three two four. That's M U S E three two four. All I'm doing right now is I'm just working on my show and getting my workshop going. So those are the two things that I'm I'm working on now. So I really don't have much else going on except for that. Well, if you're in the uh, is it the Hartford area, Connecticut? Yes, I'm in Hartford. Yep. Be sure to find. Uh, the local comedy scene go see rob say hi give him some love definitely i appreciate you thank you so much for having me on this shit was a blast man it woke me up i'm really happy uh, thank you happy father's day same to you you uh have a wonderful sunday and i'll be keeping an eye on you dude and an ear keep doing something so i can uh, i can know what's going on with you in the future okay oh yeah man much love to you i appreciate it and hopefully and you always hit me up hit me up whenever on the twitter I'll, i will definitely talk will do man hey you have a wonderful uh rest of the weekend and I, i'll holler at you soon definitely my man all right peace looks like the family's up yay <laughs> oh man well rob santos um hello nice to meet you had a blast uh, you guys be sure to go and check him out and uh yeah man i hope you enjoyed the show that was a a, a funny one rob just kind of fell in my lap three days ago and we made that happen so i'm happy and uh hopefully it wasn't too bad but you motherfuckers thank you for listening uh be sure to like subscribe uh, at Boboy Pod on Twitter at JodyB501 for me. Tell your friends, tell your mama, tell your friends, mama, about the show. Leave a review. Shout out to our sponsors uh, at Spunk Lube for all your slip sliding and, and cock riding needs. Be sure to get you a bottle of that Spunk Lube, it's the best. And if you'd like any Po' Boys podcast merchandise, you can go to wehavemerch.com. Uh, he's a good dude over there, Shiloh, taking care of business. He'll have everything shipped up and mailed out to you ASAP. But you motherfuckers have a a great week. I'm happy. I'm happy today. It was a good good interview. I think I think it's gonna be a good day, and I'm I'm okay with that. So, take it easy, motherfucker. Bye. First things first, I'ma say all the words inside my head. I'm fired up and tired of the way the things have been.
master of my CO I was broken from a young age, taking my soak in the abyss is writing my poems for the few who look at me, took on me, shook on me, feeling me singing from heart from the pain, taking my message from the veins, making my lesson from the brain, seeing the beauty through the Inhibited, limited till it broke open and rained down. It rained down. 